All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. And our special guest is Nikki Lawley. Nikki is a cannabis patient advocate, speaker, and founder of Nikki and the Plant. She discovered medical cannabis after experiencing a life-changing brain injury while working as a pediatric nurse on October to, in October excuse me, of 2016. Nikki is a leading voice in the community, chronicling her journey from a healthcare provider to a patient to an advocate. She hopes to bring worldwide awareness to invisible illness, disability, and how cannabis can help improve quality of life. She has been a guest on multiple podcasts and shows, including Let's Be Blunt with Montel Williams. Find, you can find Nikki's uh, media appearances all over her website, which is, go ahead, Nikki, what is it? It's www.nikkiandtheplant.org. Dot org. So how are you doing, Nikki? I'm doing great, Miguel. Thanks for so much for having me on your show. And I look forward to the conversation. Well, thanks for your time. I do appreciate it. You just came back from MJ Unpacked and you said you had a great time. I did. It was such a cool conference. I got to see all kinds of new brands and things that want to come into our New York state market. So it's super exciting having the West meet the East, if you will. And you're out of Buffalo, right? Correct. Buffalo, New York. And you, and that was in New York city. That was, it was in New York city. So it was a little fun airfare experience uh, or air travel experience. My plane got canceled on the way to the airport, leaving um, New York city and the guy wouldn't turn around. So it was a full on cab fare on the way to LaGuardia and then on the way back downtown to Manhattan. So that kind of stunk. But other than that, the trip was amazing and everything happens for a reason. So there was a reason I wasn't supposed to fly out that particular day. That's cool. I like the way you look at it too. I like the way you look at it. <laughs> so was it, I got to ask, cause I always, I mean, I've seen a lot of people uh, commenting about the MJ unpacked in New York city. And I'm like, I'm not sure if it'd be real cool to get high in a city that big or not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to be around like, you know, how, what, what was it? What was it? Was it fun? <laughs> so the experience was completely kind of weird um that's what i kind of figured too it'd be like they'd be like i'm in a major metropolitan city and i don't feel like being this hustly and bustly that's just my that's just my that's just me well, right there. i've been to many states and a couple countries here that have legalized cannabis and new york city was definitely different because I couldn't find cannabis like I'm at a cannabis convention and there's nowhere like nobody's giving it out. No one's really sharing. I mean, yes, you know, people and, you know, you'll get a joint here or a joint there, but it was like a drought. I mean, I was feeling like I'm in Missouri or something like I couldn't find cannabis. Like I just wanted to buy some so I didn't have to think about it anymore or worry about it. And there weren't any dispensaries near me. So, I mean, I do have my New York state medical card. So, I mean, I do have the ability to purchase at a dispensary, but yeah, it was kind of weird. And then like in the city, so it was in Midtown Manhattan. So it's like right in the middle of Manhattan and you know, you'd have this group of kids walking with their teacher, you know, and and again, it's my medicine. So I'm not as creeped out by it as I used to be, but I still am not super wicked comfortable with the whole medicating around children. And again, that's my upbringing. That's my hang up. That's my whole thing. But 
when you're seeing like 25 third graders walking by and you're sitting there burning with your joint, you know, I'm like, I'm like hiding it and I'm like blowing up in the sky, like trying really hard not to just be normal. Um, so that was unique for me. Uh, not that I haven't been in places where cannabis isn't widely available or widely accessed because I have, um, you know, go to Arkansas, for instance, like nobody's burning on the street there. I, I can but, believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe but, that. But yeah, it was kind of a unique experience for me. Um, I am not a huge, busy kind of human, meaning I don't really like being in bigger cities. I'm more of a, not urban, like, but definitely more suburban <laughs> kind of mentality. So, know you know, you it was just an adjustment. And that's kind of what I was when I was like, oh, you know, it's in New York City, you know, the, the big, you know, the whole state went opened up and and I was like, yeah, I get it. Big New York, big metropolitan area. I was just curious. And and I kind of thought that it'd be, I don't know. For me, I think it it might be a little too hustly and bustly, where it's kind of like, you know, maybe a little say, hey, not so much of a hurry, unless you are really in a hurry, which being in that environment can kind of like force you to think and, and think that way, right? Because you're all of a sudden 100%. you're you're in that, you're in that, you're in that pipeline and everybody's in a rush. That's right. why I was just wondering how that would all go down. You know, that's why so Toronto was a lot is a lot different. Like I literally back. before was in Toronto. Yeah. And then the week after I was in New York City. And while they're both very large cities and have lots and lots of people, Toronto in front of the convention center when you were medicating, you didn't feel as weird as I did in front of the Hilton in Manhattan. So and again, yes, there were kids, but it just seemed more, it just didn't seem as weird, if, if you know what I'm trying to say. I, I do. I think, I, do, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's the environment and it's, it's kind of, you know, a lot of people put it in different ways, but it's, it's, uh, it's how you're reading in the environment, right? And, and I talk with a lot of people on the podcast from Canada and I met a fantastic person. Her name's Sherry Bennett. She's near Toronto, Canada. And she's introduced me to a lot of people and they've been with it for more years than the U S of course, federally, of course, but they still have the stigma there. And, uh, and it's in, it, it is, it is really, I think it really says a lot when, when you who, and we haven't gone over this yet, but you've had six or seven traumatic brain injuries and cannabis has significantly increased your ability to have a quality of life that is that is that's where it should be right or and and at the same time you're in you're in your own state and you feel weird when when you see children and and i understand that but that's how thick the stigma can be right Right. even for somebody like you who you know this is is a profound medicine for you a natural profound medicine it's a plant and yet that stigma is so still thick that that it's still that those thoughts come back up and you're like, oh boy, I better hide this. And I think, you know, that 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 says a lot too, I think, about where the US is with it. And then when you can when you compare that to where your experience was in Toronto, and uh and it's it's just it I understand what you're saying completely. It's a there's there's a, there's an atmosphere, there's an energy. 
and there is and yeah so much i mean yes i was around all cannabis you know industry people and they even kind of felt weird i mean you could just see it you know like when these groups of kids would come along it was like you know (laughs) and and again why though you know i mean yes we don't want them smoking cigarettes yes we don't want them you know drinking booze on the side of the road same kind of concepts but yet i'm medicating and yes i have to smoke my medicine i'm not one of the people that gets advantage from um gummies edibles pills yeah i'm a true have to combust kind of smoker um I have a unique metabolism and delivery. My, I had weight loss surgery back in 2007, and then I have no gallbladder. So oh. between the two, I don't metabolize fat soluble things very well. Okay. And that is why THC and CBD and cannabis are basically fat soluble things. So you need okay. fat to metabolize them and have them bioavailable in your body. So for me, combusting is the only way I get medicated. And I would love to find another way, love, but I have yet to find that. So I'm quest. So you know what? So now when I hear you say that, I'm thinking I'm and I'm and I'm imagining you in downtown New York City, downtown Manhattan, right? And you see you're 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 seeing what you're seeing and there's other people and they're like, well this feels kind of weird. But I think that's because you care also about the people that are looking at you and and it's like you know what i care about those people and i don't want to be putting off the wrong perspective of the wrong i don't want to say the wrong optic because then it becomes like something different and then it becomes like a, a game of optics but it's a care for people that i'm getting at is that is that you you don't want to be you don't want to rub it in somebody's face in a negative way you don't even come anywhere near that impression of rubbing in somebody's face in a negative way and that that says a lot about you as well. And, but it also speaks even more greatly to the stigma, I think too. It says both, you know, it says you have a great care for people. And at the same time, there's a great stigma. It's a real stigma. (laughs) And if this plant had not saved my life, Miguel, I would have no, I I would have been one of those judgy people walking down the street saying, oh, you guys are so gross. Can't you go smoke that shit somewhere else i mean sorry for the s-bomb that's all right i understand (laughs) but like i would have literally been totally put off by it you know i and i so i'm as guilty as those who don't know do you know what i mean like yes i do i don't know what we don't know and until you get become in a position where this is your medicine and this is how you have to consume to feel better that stigma is just such a real thing. And, you know, it took me, you know, probably four years at this point. Now I'm four years out from my life changing head injury, actually five. Um, It happened in October of 2016. And my life changed in a second, Miguel. I was just doing my job like any other day. I was working as a pediatric nurse and a child became combative for a vaccine. This is nothing new in a pediatric office. You have yeah. three children, so you understand. Yeah. Like they're not real big fans of a needle. And that's part of a different stigma. But parents and kids, they perpetuate the fear of the needle thing. If you can kind of 
see where I'm yeah at. i do i get it's it's the it's the oh you poor thing you've got to get a shot oh i'm so sorry and you know you got parents tripping out well that's <laughs> creating anxiety in the kid and now the kid is freaked out seeing me in my little scrub suit so now he's flailing and freaking and tripping out well guess what? Getting shots, getting your blood drawn. These are all facts of life. And instead of creating all this drama and this surreal experience as parents, as adults, as how we teach our young, we have to normalize that conversation similar to how we have to normalize cannabis can be used as medicine. And so when this happened to me, it was just like any other day. This kid did not want a shot. My coworker goes in to try and, you know, make it happen. And you just hear this kid squealing like a little pig from, <laughs> I mean, he was just literally freaking out. Not having it, not having it at all. Not having it. Like, absolutely not. And every time my coworker would go to give the vaccine, the child would flip his arm like a duck going up and down smart so, kid smart literally, kid <laughs> i'm not literally I mean. she couldn't restrain him enough so i got called in to assist this is not my first rodeo miguel like i've been punched i've been hit i've been kicked i'm a pediatric nurse right like i mean i was a warrior of the of the badge you know yeah and um this kid just was freaking out i get behind him and the dad he tucks his chin throws his head back into Ooh. my forehead. I bounce into a plaster wall and then back into his head. So it was a significant whiplash injury as well as frontal lobe of my brain injury. And Miguel, I had been had two concussions prior to that that were pretty significant, not anywhere near this level, but I went to the ER for them and, you know, got diagnosed and had CAT scans because um, I had fallen on ice once and then I'd hit my head on the corner of a desk. So there were two prior concussions before this one, but this one, everything changed um, immediately while I didn't pass out. I think my adrenaline was so angry and so fired up. I mean, like fight or flight was like happening right then. I mean, I couldn't believe what happened. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> it was so shocking. And the kids still didn't get the shot because that was my head going into the wall. The doctor from the next room came running in. What was that noise? Oh, that was Nikki's head. What? <laughs> and there was a big dent in the wall. Anyway, uh, another story, but it was so significant that you know, my whole left arm became paralyzed. I had numbness and tingling. And that was more of my concern than my head at the time because it was so pronounced. And we ended up giving the child the shot. You know, the doctor came in. I basically laid on top of the kid. <laughs> the doctor held the kid. The father held the kid. I mean, this kid was 10 years old. I mean, he wasn't like two, but he was about my size, say five foot you know, 89, 90 pounds. I'm a little bigger than that, but, but I mean, he was about my size. So that force that was impacted into my brain that day was like a linebacker tackling me without a football helmet, like <laughs> legit. I didn't have a helmet on, and, but his head became such a strong force. So immediately um, I go to eat after that. Uh, and I, 
get sick. And the doctor on that was there said, yeah, you've got a concussion. You've got to go to urgent care. And, but I expected to be back in a couple of days. I mean, I expected, yeah, okay. So it's a Tuesday. I'll be back by Friday. No, it didn't happen that way. The headache that I had from that moment forward never stopped. I still have it today. It's oh. like a seven out of 10. Right now? Single day. Right now. Like Ooh. I medicated before we started talking. So it's probably about a five right now, but it like overtakes your whole thinking. Like you can't come up with thoughts because that pain is just cush, cush, cush in the back of your head. And and doctors weren't believing it. They were literally telling me, there's nothing wrong with you. Your scans are fine. I was on workers' compensation. So there's like a limit to what they'll pay for. There's a limit. There's a value on every single specialist you see on everything. And it was a horrible experience going from being on one side of the table as the healthcare provider to going to the other side and being the patient. The patient experience for me, totally sucked. I expected to be treated like other patients, like I treated my patients. And that was not the way it works. When you're in a worker's compensation patient, you now are a number. You are a chart number, a file number, and anything else is irrelevant. So when you go to one of these providers, you're literally made to feel like you're doing something wrong. Like you shouldn't still be hurting after two weeks, after two months, after two years, you know, there's really nothing wrong with you. You're malingering or you do a test, a a neuropsych test. I had several and they're like, oh no, you can't possibly test that horrible. Like you really are just faking it. And I'm like, do you not think I want to be well? Do you not think that I want to try on this neuropsych test because as a healthcare provider, I understand whatever is lacking in this neuropsych test perhaps can be restored with cognitive therapy, perhaps can be restored with other therapies. But of course, I want to try on this test. And so when you're constantly having to prove you're injured, it's a real shitty experience. And like you're not treated human and workers comp was the worst experience ever. And so for two years, I pretty much went without having an official diagnosis and my neck was significantly injured. Not so I'm not suffering just from a traumatic brain injury, but also cervical instability, which is the reason I have a headache 24 seven, which there's a reason how my head was hit, but it took thousands of dollars of my own money to get this diagnosis. It took going to Montreal for a special neuropsych test. It took going to Florida for a specific type of x-ray. It took, you know, I had to find all these. You had to seek it all out. You had to seek it all out and spend a lot of money and travel. And it, it was not ever suggested anything holistic. It was just a new pill. It was just another, you know, IV infusion, another Botox round, another this round, that round. And it was just all drugs. And when you're having symptoms from one of the drugs they give you, they just give you another drug to mask for that, that symptom. Yes. And which comes another, which comes with another host of side effects, a whole host of side effects. At one point I was taking 16 pills 
Um, some supplements were in there, but mostly pharmaceuticals, 16 a day at one time. And that's a lot of stuff. That is. And then what started happening is my allergies started getting going crazy, meaning these drugs were like having an allergic reaction in my body, like literal allergic anaphylactic type reactions. And I was having them constantly. And doctors kept saying, oh, well, just cold turkey off this, you know, antidepressant or cold turkey off that drug. You must be allergic to it. And so I would do that and it would mess me up even more. The level of depression and anxiety I had after this injury and then going through all these different drugs was so bad that my entire day consisted of how am I going to die? Why am I being such a burden? And what means am I going to do to make sure I die? And this went on for months and months and months. And if you hear me now, you can't even imagine that I was ever in that dark of a place, but I truly was. And it was such a dark place that I truly don't know how to even communicate it so that people can actually understand how horrible it was. Um, I didn't find cannabis because a doctor gave it to me. I found it because my husband sent me to Las Vegas with him to go on vacation um, two months after my injury, three months actually, after my injury because I enjoyed going to the casino. Las Vegas is always been one of my favorite places to hang out. And then I couldn't leave the room in Las Vegas. I couldn't leave the room. I couldn't um, stop crying. And so as I'm planning my death, overlooking the Cosmopolitan Hotel's balcony, the pool was three stories below. And I knew all that's going to do is screw me up more. And God, I can't even conceive hurting more. So at that same time, a mobile billboard that normally would be sharing seedy women, you know, <laughs> at gentlemen's clubs. Uh, came you're in by. Las Vegas. Yeah, you're in Las Vegas. That's Sin City, baby. Sin City. And it came running, going by and it said, get your medical marijuana card in Nevada today. Immediately, I'm part of the war on drugs, you know, Nancy Reagan, just say no. And your brain on drugs with the frying egg. I was not thinking this could ever be a good idea, but the medical marijuana kind of, it was almost funny to me that I would even consider doing something like this. That marijuana could be medical, med like yeah, medicine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, I've always viewed it like having a glass of wine, you know, I worked at a casino, lots of more people. of a, more of a party thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I smoked it. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you I smoked it during my casino days for sure, but not every day, not as medicine, not with any kind of like if people had it, sure, I'd smoke it. It wasn't a big deal to me. But then when seeing this billboard and having my husband literally say to me, let's go get it. Like, let's try it. You've, you've laughed on weed before. Let's try and see if we can get you to laugh again instead of crying. And again, it was, I felt so bad as I, you know, think back to that time because I was a mess. I was such a mess. And he 
had to put up with that, you know, and it was that huge burden of I'm constantly crying. I'm constantly in pain. I'm constantly depressed. I can't count change. I can't, you know, do basic math things that we take for granted every day, like going to a grocery store, pull a, you know, handful of change out of my uh, bottom of my purse to try and give count out 60 some cents because the bill was $20 and 60 some cents. I can't recognize 61 cents. I can't figure out how much that is. And I mean, I'm a former dealer. So, I mean, that was like a pretty big deal, Miguel. No, I get what you're, 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 you're a math seeing your, person. Seeing your abilities just deteriorate in front of you. And you don't understand what's going on or, or how to fix it. More important was like, how do I correct this? Right. Right. And All right, we're going to wrap this up as conclusion of part one, but the story continues with part two. This is the Conversation Cannabis Christianity podcast, and our special guest is Nikki and the Plant, Ms. Nikki Lawley. <laughs>